In this portion of WGTD's morning show, we're going to be talking about the remarkable story of Hope O. Baker and the book that she has written called Finding Hope, A Birth Mother's Journey into the Light. Uh, Hope O. Baker became unexpectedly pregnant at the age of 21, and she made the difficult decision of uh, deciding to give her child up for adoption uh, and in the framework of an open adoption. And uh, although there have been uh, difficulties uh, along the way, it is ultimately a tremendously uplifting and inspiring story, uh, and uh, she shares it in this book, Finding Hope, published by Lioncrest. Hope O'Baker, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Thank you so much, Greg. I'm so excited to be here. Glad we can have this this conversation. Uh, so let's get right to the heart of the matter, the fact of this unexpected pregnancy when you were 21 years old. As you describe this experience of getting this uh, unanticipated news, uh, and particularly <laughs> when it comes to uh, you know your thoughts, uh, you th- you thought about a, a, a number of different possibilities, in, including the possibility of abortion. You went so far as to travel all the way to Kansas City, and uh, once you reached there, decided against it. Just tell us a little bit about that journey, both <laughs> the, the geographical and, in a sense, the emotional journey that you took at this point before uh, your baby had even been born. You know, I think that when I look back to those times, I knew I wasn't ready to be a mom. And I just, I just, you know, it was a worrisome thing as a 21-year-old college student, not sure what to do. And, you know, I I am pro-choice, very pro-choice. But when it came down to it, and I was sitting there, and they're describing, you know, what was going to happen, I just in that moment decided that, you know, my son had to be born, and I don't, I didn't actually know he was a boy at that time, but I told him my son. I think I intuitively knew. Um, so here we are, you know, seven years later, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I made that choice. Hmm. You found out that you were pregnant. You, you found out that you were pregnant uh, at 20 weeks, and uh, I'm not sure, is, is that, unusually late i'm sort of guessing that it probably is unusually late to uh, to learn that news to what extent was that kind of a complicating factor in terms of deciding what you were going to do about this pregnancy yeah I'll, yeah i'll tell you when i when i found out I, I just remember asking over and over again what are my options what are my options i didn't know how far along i was at that moment and i um you know, for it, it, it's terrible that it happened this way. But my mom, the day after I got pregnant, she told me that she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and so I just spent those months so distracted and trying to take care of her. And you know, I actually went to the doctor two times and said, "There's something wrong with me. You know, something doesn't feel right." And I was referred to a psychologist because they attributed to my mom's sickness and that I was having, you know, I was having emotional problems with that. But here all along I was pregnant. I should have just taken a pregnancy test. I just, you know, looking back now, it just seems so obvious. Um, 
But, you know, 20 weeks is further along. I mean, people typically find out before that, but there are people who find out later. And, you know, I think that I, I'm, I can sit here now and say, oh, I, I wish I would have thought out sooner. But had I thought out sooner, I might have made a different choice about bringing my son into this world, you know, had it been not so late. So I think everything happens in mysterious ways, Mm. you know. One of the interesting things about the story is that when you are at the hospital and about to give birth and even uh, in, in the aftermath of having given birth, you were really pressured to, uh, to, to, Sorry, I'm going to start that over again. Um, when you were at the hospital and told that you were pregnant, uh, it's really kind of remarkable how much pressure you were put under by people at the hospital. I mean, people on the staff at the hospital in terms of what you should do with this pregnancy. And uh, to a person, you were uh, you were counseled to have the baby and give it up for adoption and that there was even somebody there at the hospital on the staff who was willing to adopt the baby. Uh, Looking back, does that strike you as kind of remarkable, the way in which you were pressured uh, to make a particular decision? And did it feel strange in the moment? You know, I will never forget those moments of sitting there, just finding out I was pregnant. I was by myself. My mom wasn't there yet. And they're telling me that there's a woman in the hospital waiting to meet me. And, and they use this phrase. They said, no matter um, the health problems or deformities, because they thought, oh, I'm a college kid. I had been drinking all the time. Because my mom had been diagnosed with cancer, I wasn't, which was a blessing in disguise. But, you know, they're wanting me to meet this woman right then and there, five minutes after I found out I was pregnant. You know, it was just, it was just insanity. And, and, you know, I, I even wrote a clinical letter. I wrote a letter and I said, I just, I hope that no other woman has to go through what you put me through. And I wasn't ready to look at the ultrasound picture and the ultrasound, the ultrasound nurse forced me to look at it, literally. And I, I just wasn't ready and I needed to process and it was very uncomfortable and it just, you know, I get it. I think it was, um a faith-based clinic in Alexandria, Minnesota. My gosh, I just, I, you know, I really hope that no woman, I, I, you know, I did write a strong word letter, like, please don't do this to another person. It was traumatizing enough going through this, and I needed to process. I didn't need a woman who was going to adopt my child. I didn't even know anything about adoption at that point. Hmm. One powerful and painful moment in your story is when your mother with whom you have sometimes had a difficult relationship, said to you very forthrightly, Hope, you can't do this. You won't be a good mother. Um, Tell us about the moment that you heard those words and what kind of difference those words made to you in all of this. It took me a long time to forgive my mother for saying that. And when I look back, hearing those words changed everything for me. And, you know, I spent, I spent the better part of five years blaming my mom 
being so angry for what she said. And, and now that I look back, I realize that, you know, my mom had my oldest sister very young. And she wanted me to be able to have, you know, a fighting chance in life. She And I get where she was coming from now. But let me tell you, it took a long time to be able to look her in her eyes and not be angry at her. Mm. And not be mad and not and not blame her. But at the end of the day, I know that her words came out harsh. But I understand where they came from now. Mm. And I think that that's really helped us. Um, you know, move past it. Hmm. You did, of course, make the decision to go through uh, with having the baby, but choosing to give it up for adoption. Uh, one of the things you say about that moment where you you give birth to a baby, but then choose not to keep it, is that one thing you felt like was an empty vessel. I thought that was such an interesting choice of words. Tell us more about that feeling of being and being reduced in a sense to an empty vessel. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny you bring that up because I was just reading that part of my book over again for National Adoption Awareness Month um, and sharing that literally that same line. Um, Hmm. I think in adoption, people, you know, people want to share how beautiful it is and how wonderful it is. And And it's not that it's not beautiful and wonderful, you know, people want to be parents and they can't. So there's, you know, this is how they build their family. And and I do think adoption can be beautiful, but I think that a lot of times we forget about the pain and the trauma of adoption. I mean, in order for my son's mom to take him home, I had to lose him. I had to sign a piece of paper that said that I was no longer his mom, right? I, I had to do that. And I think that when you're in this position as an expectant mom and they, people just want babies. And, and, and that's just my son's mom. You know, she was very kind and caring and loving. But they, you know, you get so desperate because you want a baby so bad. And I get it. I totally get it. But it leaves a lot of room for, you know, just people feeling empty and people feeling like, this is why I'm here. This person loves me because there's a baby inside me, right? Like mm. they want my child. And when you come to that realization and realize that there's this whole industry that is rooting for you to not parent your child, mm. like that is their goal. Their goal is for an expectant mom to not raise her child. And I think that that is a very empty feeling. Mm. And it makes, you know, it makes you feel like a vessel and like, you know, there weren't people advocating for me in the adoption world to raise my son and, you know, helping me find solutions and options. Like, I didn't have that. Mm. I, n- never was that a thing. Mm. It was always, okay, what can we do now? You made this choice. Now, how do we get this baby from mm. you? <laughs> That's how the adoption industry works. Mm. At least certainly as you experienced it. You chose something called open adoption. Explain to our listeners what open adoption is. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting because I, I met somebody yesterday um, who's an adoptee. And when she was telling me her story, she was telling me that her adoption, she's 40 years old, her adoption started as open, and then the adopted parents closed it after one year of her life. And she just 
got in contact with her birth mother. Her birth mother just found her. After 40 years, she found her. And, and, and it's, you know, I am, I'm lucky in my situation because in California, if I request an attorney, the, adopt, the hopeful adopted parent has to provide that for the, the expected mom who will become a birth mom. They have to provide that. So when you look at open adoption, I mean, I get pictures of my son. I get to see him. Um, you know, in our contract, it says two to three times a year. My son, um, you know, if he wants to FaceTime me, he can call me whenever he wants. My son's mom actually sends me picture books. Like, I, you know, this is just something she does. She doesn't legally have to do it, but she sends my mom, my grandma, and myself picture books. It's just everyday life, just, you know, full of pictures of my son, which is incredible. But, you know, when you look at open and closed adoption, I mean, closed is there's no relationship, there's no picture, there is nothing. The child might not even know his birth mom's name. They, just, they, they may never know that, you know, and that's how a lot of adoptions used to be done. They were closed. That was just the normal standard. And now you don't see as many closed adoptions. Like closed adoptions happen with international adoption, but domestic adoptions, it's very – it's becoming less common, which is how it should be. I mean, I know that with, you know, with my open adoption, I have a contract in place. So I can't, you know, it can't just all of a sudden go close. And, and I know many, many birth moms, so that happens for them. They have an open adoption, they have contact, and then one day it just stops. And, and you don't have any rights because you're a birth mom and, you know, you sign your rights away, which is such a... It's such a traumatic thing. And, and I'll tell you, Greg, I feel like I'm being so down on adoption today. I, and every day is different for me. I had to have a call with my son's mom recently, and I just – because my mind had completely shifted. And I hated adoption that week. I just – I hated it. And I had to explain to her that, listen, like, <laughs> the life of a birth mother and the emotional roller coaster. like, sometimes I hate adoption. Sometimes I love it. It's just like, you know, hmm. it's ever-changing. So I feel like I'm being really – I'm in one of those seasons right now where I really, really hate adoption. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where you're uh, maybe, uh, for, for whatever reason, acutely aware of, of the hurts. And at one point in your book, you say uh, when it comes to giving birth to a baby and then giving it up for adoption, this hurts, let it. I mean, that's your, that's your advice. Uh, in, in other words, yeah. to not sort of evade the pain or try to run away from the pain, but but let it hurt because... In a sense, it should hurt. I mean, it, it, it is natural for this to be a painful experience. And in a sense, something would be really wrong if there wasn't some pain and hurt wrapped up in it. Yeah, I think that, you know, people just expect you to get over it and to move on. And, you know, especially when, you, you know, I made this choice. I always have to remind myself, like, you know, it's okay to feel pain about a choice you made, right? Like, it's okay to let yourself be angry and hurt and sad and and depressed at times because of a choice you made. And I think that's the big thing. It's not like this was done to me. I had to consciously sign paperwork to say that this was a decision I was going to make. I had to do that. And to live with that pain, it, it's really, really, really hard because you know that that pain comes from a choice you made, a conscious decision that you made to terminate your legal rights, to, to place your son in another woman's arms to be his mother. 
And I think that, you know, I for so long just, I thought something was wrong with me because I couldn't get over it. I couldn't, I couldn't function. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do anything without just being so sad. And, and it's hard to find people who get that. It's hard to find even therapists who understand that pain and that trauma because it's not like, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to equate it to this, but when, when you lose a child, when a child dies and you lose your child, like, you know that happens. But when you place a child for adoption, like, they're just existing in a world without you. Hmm. And you don't, you know, and you don't get to be a part of that every day. And it's just, gosh, it's so, it's so painful and it's so traumatic. And I just feel really grateful and lucky that, you know, I'm seven years in. And I just and I found peace with my decision, and I found people who could support me and help me. There are women who are 40, 50 years in, and they still haven't found that. And I, I feel genuinely incredibly lucky to have found a support system and found a way to find the light and to be happy again. You know, I feel incredibly lucky that that happened for me so early because, like I said, I meet birth moms on a regular basis who are – 40 years out and and they're still every day struggling and they can't, they can't breathe. They haven't took a breath since they placed their child because they just haven't gotten the support they need Hmm. to process and to heal. Right. I think your book is such an important story, not only about you as the birth mother having given up a, a child for adoption, but it's also to a large extent about, uh, your son's mother and uh, the, the, the adoptive mother and uh, what she has been like, what your relationship has been like. And, uh, and uh, in, in many ways, it is a remarkably positive story. And in some ways, she seems like something of a role model in terms of, of being sensitive and, uh, and appreciative and so on. And uh, so I appreciate that, that the story, in a sense, is, is very much about both of you. And I was struck over and over again as I read those words, my son's mother. You writing those words, my son's mother. When you think about those three words, in, a, in some ways at a glance, they don't, they don't make sense. My son's mother. And you're talking about somebody who, who isn't you. <laughs> somebody else yeah. who is your son's mother. In some ways, that's kind of the heart of the matter, isn't it? Coming to terms with sort of the, the, the strange enigma that is, is, is part of this. Uh, uh, and that's really what your book's about. Yeah, I mean, I think I get a lot of questions about that because I, would, I don't call her his adoptive mom or I, I just I don't do that because she is his mom. I'm his mom too, but, you know, she's his mom and I don't want him to ever think of her of anything other than that. You know, so and that, I do get a lot of questions on that, and even from other birth mothers. You know, it's it's hard for them to associate their child's adoptive mom. It's hard for them to say anything other than adoptive mom because it's painful, right? They, my child calls another woman mom. He doesn't even call me mom. You know, I he doesn't call me mom. He calls me Hopi, and that's a hard thing to swallow sometimes, but. You know, she is his mom, and I never want it to be seen as anything other than that. Hmm. 
One thing, this is, uh, we just have a, a minute or so for this. At one point early in the book, in talking about how you've come through the most difficult days of this, and although you have bad days and bad weeks, for the most part at least, life is really, really good, really full for you, and that you are blooming now. Why did you use that word, blooming, to describe the way you at least generally feel about yourself and your life at this point? I think that there was a time where I didn't see a way out of the way I was living. And I believe a lot of people going through things, right, whether they're a birth mother or not, feel the same way. You don't see light at the end of the tunnel. You don't know how you're going to put your shoes on the next day and be okay. And, you know, I really, I turned a corner. I pulled myself out of a really dark place. Not by myself, of course, there was plenty of support around, but to live the life I do now, I mean, I'm very happy in my career. I I obviously wrote a book. I have, you know, I bought a home. I've got a beautiful dog. Like to live the life that I'm living now, it's, it's sometimes I have to pinch myself because I don't, sometimes I can't understand how I came from being, you know, shaking on the floor, thinking I was going to die to all of a sudden not all of a sudden, it took a lot of work, <laughs> but just in this, in this different place, in this happy place. And I think that, you know, that's, that's a gift and I don't take it lightly. And I like to celebrate my successes because they're important. Like getting a promotion at work isn't just a promotion to me. It's wow. Like I did this. I came from this dark hellish place and now I'm here. And even little things, like I just celebrate everything, and I think every little thing that happens in my life and in other people's life is so important. Little things matter to me, and I think that that is really just, you know, blooming mm-hmm. <laughs> every day. <laughs> so, the book again is Finding Hope: A Birth, Mo- Birth Mother's Journey into the Light, published by Lion Crest. The author Hope O. Baker. Hope O. Baker, thank you so much for sharing this honest and illuminating book with the world. And thank you for being part of the morning show today. I'm really glad we got to talk. Thank you so much, Greg. Happy to be here.